Fashion and beauty are serious business. On this podcast, we will hear from amazing creative entrepreneurs. Join us as we explore their unique success stories, learn from experts, and hear about their journeys. Steve Jobs famously said that, the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. So let's get crazy. I'm your host, Ann Zuckerman, and this is the Just Wanted to Ask podcast. Ladies, have you ever had one of those uncomfortable headlight moments? Don't you want to be heard without distraction? Bezzy broad discs are your solution. Go to justwantedtoask.com and look for Bezzy broad discs. everyone. Uh, so today I'm really happy to have Kim Curtis. Uh, she's a best-selling author of Money Secrets and Retirement Secrets and a nationally recognized wealth management advisor and speaker. She is also a nationally recognized wealth management advisor and president and CEO of Wealth Legacy Institute. Her groundbreaking work in developing a highly per- personal client-centric planning model was recognized in the Journal of Practical Estate Planning, winning and the Editor's Choice Award. She has been profiled in several publications, including the Wall Street Journal. Kim has attained numerous professional designations and has been recognized by the financial planning industry as having achieved the highest level of competence and expertise. Kim can be reached at wealthlegacyinstitute.com and more information will be in the show notes. So having said all that, welcome and um, tell us a little bit how you got started. Were you always interested in money and investments? (laughs) Thanks, Annie, for that introduction. Uh, No, hell no. uh, That was probably one of the last things I ever thought that I would end up in money. Um, and it's, it's fascinating when you think about it. No, when I was a a teenager, my parents got divorced and, uh, my mother had full custody with three teenage girls, no employable skills. And so she applied for us and received government assisted lunches. So every day I had to hand this little red ticket to the cashier. And I remember going to the furthest line away from my friends and looking behind me as I had this little ticket underneath my plate, and I discreetly handed to that cashier, looking to make sure no one saw that. So the shame and unworthiness that I had around money was very, very big. Um, that I could still feel the emotion of that. What does that tell you? That, that, that think of that baggage that we have around money that goes into adulthood. Um, but my mother did have this one gift, And that was, uh, she told her three daughters to make sure you get your education because no one can take it away from you. So we did, we all went to college and uh, I also went to law school and quickly, while getting out of law school, defaulted on my school loans. Like I had no business having loans, understanding money, understanding what that meant. So viewers out there and listeners that have school loans, please know you are not alone. And we do not do a good job of teaching our students what that means in terms of paying it off. 
So no, I was my own shit show in my twenties around money, uh, but I have a legal background. And so the legal background, um, I, uh, took me to Salt Lake City to open a Salt Lake City office. And so my area of expertise was negotiation, mediation, and arbitration. And so I reported to the president in New York City and one day realized I was no longer doing settlement conferences. I was more of a spokesperson. So I did a career shift and I had a friend that put me through a battery of tests. And guess what came up? Money, <laughs> financial planning, money, investments. And I thought, oh my gosh, that will be a piece of cake with the success I had in my early career. I can knock this out of the park. Well, that was not true. <laughs> it, you know, I was like three to five years, five to seven years. And then it was like, okay, in seven to 10 years, I will really have this business under wraps. And to be candid, I think in the nature of my work, it takes in any entrepreneurial business, I would say that seven to 10 years is really that sweet spot that if you're still around, that all of a sudden you're starting to turn that into where you're no longer working and not paying yourself, but you're at a place where you're starting to actually make profit and, and feel like you're making a difference to the world and for yourself and for others. So yeah, that's my story. Can you believe that? I mean, who in the wildest dreams? And here I am with that bio that you write off. I, I continually think to myself, wow, what happened? You know? For sure. Um, what an interesting journey. So if you lived in an ideal world, mm -hmm. when would you, when do you think that parents should start truly educating their children in finance moving ahead and how to incorporate that in their education. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think that what happens to us as adults is we need to go back and actually revisit our money history and our money scripts because how we show up around money today is passing on to your children. Um, and it may not be your values, so I think it's important to really kind of figure out where are you as a parent and your spouse or mate, um, get on the same page and then actually share that with your children. Talk about money, talk about, uh, have an allowance and not an allowance just to give, have them do a chore to earn that money and show like saving giving, you know, that have a certain amount that you give back uh, to somewhere, a nonprofit of some sort, um, and then a saving. So you have spending, saving, and giving. And those three boxes, and to teach your, your, your young child, and you could start as early as, you know, seven, as it relates to starting to have an allowance and those different things of how they show up in the world. And I think the more parents discuss money openly, and then when they're going to college that you talk about budgeting, and you show your budgeting in the household and what is your mortgage? How do you spend money on groceries so that your young adult who's about to launch understands what their parents have also done and what it takes to run a household or live so, on your own or pay for to pay for laundry. I mean, just finding quarters for laundry sometimes uh, as a college student is difficult. I remember it well. <laughs> I remember my roommate and I trying to find quarters to get on the subway to get to work. Um, yes, yes. <laughs> uh, so you've mentioned that your financial approach is holistic. Mm -hmm. um, why should the relationship with money start internally? 
everything in our life and how we show up is always an inside job, even though we want money to be an outside job because we see what it does. Um, it, it's, it's always begins with who you are and how you show up. So, and mindset and intention. So if I were to think about money, I, I <laughs> there are, there are several ways to approach this. I'm, I'm first going to do kind of a pyramid. And then I'll talk about kind of how that supports it from the back end. So if you think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, do you remember like you have to have basic security and work your way to self-actualization at the top? Well, if you think about money, um, people come to my firm or firms like mine having money that they want to invest and they want it to be managed. So that's the bottom of that pyramid. The next level is attaching that to a financial plan. That's goals. What's important to you? Children's uh, education funding, retirement planning, you name it. Buying a house. Uh, but it's goals. And then next on that, so you have managing money, goals. Next is lifestyle. Because if you put managing money and, and financial planning together, goal achievement, all of a sudden you have this balance that allows you the space to breathe because you have peace of mind knowing that's in play, to think about lifestyle. I mean, generally money's up here and it's frenetic and it's chaotic. If you could have it put down here as your foundation supporting you, it's so much easier to be up here and think bigger. So that's what we do every day that allows someone to hit lifestyle, to think big, to get to that pinnacle of that pyramid, which is impact or legacy, depending on what's important to you. So think about in our life, we tend to think managing money, you know, that's a commodity out there. What's really important is tying it to something most important to you. And once you could tie it to something most important to you, then it's so much easier to work your way up to that pyramid to make a difference in the world and why you're here on this planet. Yeah, it's really important to have some type of foundation so that you do have some freedoms because... You can't dream if you have nothing to create with. That's right. And you know what, Anne? I'll, I'll bring that second piece of what I was about to say uh, that kind of makes it an inside job is we think of money in our culture as there are two laws of money. The human-made law is what I do every day. It's financial planning. It's risk management. It's constructing portfolios, tax mitigation. That's human-made laws around money. But there's also a second law around money, and that's natural law. And natural law is where we should always start first. And that's as we have children giving and receiving. Share your toys. Uh, be able to receive. Some people could give really well, but they can't receive. So if we think of natural laws around money, um, it's ebb and flow. It's supply and demand. It's cause and effect when we think of nature. Um, it's intention and desire. It's clear agreements, things like that, that are really important to follow nature in its most, and in gratitude, in its most simple way. That if we understood some of these basic concepts around natural law and to be able to unpack what that is, and ask for what we want without the emotional baggage attached to what we've attached it to in money today in the human-made side, um, I think that it would be easier for someone to understand that. And the way I 
that may sound like way up here <laughs> and I'll bring it down if that's okay. All right. So remember I talked about my twenties being terrible with money. Well, I actually had a gift. I had an anonymous donor put a thousand dollars on my school loan debt. And shockingly, I actually opened up my bill. Like, you know, when you're, when you're in the head with your head in the sand on money, you're not really opening up your bills, but I did open it. And I happened to notice that it was a thousand dollars less. What happened at that moment was if someone believed in me enough to do that, why am I not believing in myself? What story am I telling myself that I don't think I'm worthy to do it? which made me unpack that whole school, school lunch thing and the shame and the unworthiness and that, oh, it's other people that have money, not me. So when I started to, as a result of that gift, say to myself, what story am I telling myself? And what do I believe? If someone believes in me, then I actually should start believing in myself. And so it was the gift, the act of self-love for me, that then allowed me over a period of time to take intentional steps, primarily around self-love and self-respect and belief that then allowed me to be successful around money. Is that helpful? Oh, totally. So many of us have the same struggle. And uh, growing up, I had um, these mixed messages. Oh, you only care about money, but it's really important to give. Well, you can't give if you don't have anything. And so it was always a huge struggle for me. And I think that knowing oneself and uh, appreciating oneself and having that type of confidence is so important. So important. I think the expression of love is really the center that allows for abundance to unfold, which includes money the human made side and money is kind of the thread that navigates our human existence in this, in this, in this world. Um, so the ability to understand, if you understand money, you understand life because how you do money is how you do life. Like if you have your head in the sand around money, you do have your head in the sand around other areas of life. And so if you can unpack the stories, like I just shared that I did, um, and then take steps each day to build upon that you are deserving um, and then have actual conversations with your mate if you have one around that so that you're on the same page, then actually you're more magnetic to money. Because in reality, this sounds so weird, but money needs you. Not the other way around. Money needs, is no, money is nothing without your ideas and vision and values and what you put to it to do all these wonderful things in the world, create jobs as entrepreneurs and, and make change. So if you understand that money needs you, not you need money, based on your ideas and vision, then you will be more magnetic to it because you have an idea and vision that's going to be incredible. And if you changed it, to that other way, it's an easier way to then start to make changes for yourself. Certainly. And the other part of it is then you don't have the clutter that doesn't. So then if, you're if your brain is totally cluttered, you can't 
reach outside it to be creative. Oh, that's a really great point. And I love the word clutter because our mind clutters our head all the time. And our culture does, and our media does of not enough, not enough, not enough, too thin to, you know, you're too fat. You're not thin enough. You don't have enough money. There's always someone that has more money than you. And if you were to release all of that and just focus on your values and your vision and your goals and your dreams and even your fantasies, but it also has to have a thread that it has to be beyond more than you. You know, like if you need a you know, car so that I could drive to work and do this, I, it can't just be just to have it. It has to have a bigger message to it that allows for to be more magnetic. And, you know, when I think about that, that story of self-love, of that act of kindness that happened to me um, when I was in my 20s, you know, it's funny. We all have things in our life that we can think about that moment in time where someone expressed an act of kindness. And, you know, just the other day I was at a stoplight and there were these two runners, a male, a female and a male, and she was ahead of them by easily 20 feet. And I'm thinking, I'm like putting my own story because I'm at the stoplight. I'm thinking, oh, they must be having in a fight. I, first, I had them together. And second, they must be having a fight that she's way ahead of him. And then she stops and she bends down. And I'm thinking, is she picking up trash? You know, this I live in the city. Hmm, what's she doing? She picked a flower. And she actually said something to the, the man who finally caught up with her, but then walked to the corner and it gave, gave it to a homeless man. Oh, wow. Now, of course, I told a big story as I'm waiting for the light to turn green. But when I saw that act of love of giving that flower to that homeless man, and then the fact that that story was so not true, I actually, I had a tear in my, my eyes became full of water because I actually was filled with this energy of that, watching that expression of love. And so if we think about, opportunities and moments in our lives that are a spark just like that that change us i would say that's what happened to me uh with that gift but watching that at the corner of that light to watch that those are the things that spark us to to be uh, a better person to show up differently to ask different questions for ourselves sure and it can be at any level. It doesn't have to be huge. It doesn't, it can be. Right. It doesn't have it to be a dollars. It can be as small as a flower. So that, right. what a beautiful thought. Right. Um, so traditionally, a lot of women are afraid. Um, how can they start learning about finance and where they are with money? Yeah. And we started to talk about this first. So, uh, well, my book, actually, thank you on that. I was I was going to uh, go in a different direction, but um, Money Secrets, Keys to Smart Investing. It's about 120 pages. It's really, really simple language to allow you to have armor so that, and at the end of each chapter, uh, it talks about questions that you should ask yourself or that if you have a financial advisor, they should be asking you. So it allows you to stay in the driver's seat and be in control and know the types of things that you want to be smart about to pursue that relationship or understand money. Um, so, so that pulls back the curtain on the financial services industry to reveal why smart people make bad money mistakes. 
And that was a bestseller and it won four book awards and that's money secrets. But I think the biggest thing um, in understanding money is always starting, which is where we started before that inside job is what are the money scripts that you're telling yourself? My money script was, I don't have, I'm not enough. I have shame. I'm unworthy. Other people have money, not me. That was my story that I held for quite a while. I, that was a badge of honor until I understood how it was limiting me. And then the other thing is what is your money history? What are your first memories of money when you were a kid? Were they positive or negative? Did your family talk about money? Did they not? Who handled the money? Did your mom handle the bills? And, and if you had a dad, did they handle the, the, the investments? If, if you even have investments. So I think the most important thing is to unpack the family story because it could be something generations before you, your great grandfather was a tightwad that you're demonstrating today in your life. And you're wondering, why am I acting this way around money? So once you kind of delve into the past, that it's easy to then become present with where you are today and becoming present is what's my real reality? What's my real reality? How much money do I have coming in? And what do I have going out? And what are my bills? And when you finally pull yourself to the table to have that conversation, I think that that allow it empowers you because you can no longer lie to yourself. And once you know that and know how much you have discretionary that is extra, that you could begin setting it aside monthly in an automatic uh, way. It could be a credit union. It could be your bank. It could be now these online uh Personal capital, betterment, these are all online platforms that you could save 50 bucks, 100 bucks, 200 bucks, $1,000 automatically into these platforms to begin to save. And they already do the investments for you automatically. You don't even have to think about it. So, and if you have an employer, you want to start at least minimum the match. Like if there's a 3% match, uh, ideally you want to get that to at least 10, 15 to the maximum. And I'll tell you, Anne, once you do that, you don't have to think about money anymore ever again. You're already doing the max in the retirement. You're systematically saving and you have your cash reserves in place. Everything else after that is fun. Isn't that freeing to think about that? But it's just taking that first step of getting that retirement plan in place. If you're an entrepreneur, set up a solo 401k, set up a simplified employee pension plan, but set it up and do the max even at the expense of of debt sometimes when you think, you know, like paying yourself to put that into that retirement plan every year, regardless, pay yourself first, which we all understand intellectually, but we tend not to do it ourselves. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, this is coming from a girl that was like many people out there, you know, I mean, truly, truly. And, uh, you know, I'll never forget, I had 5,000 from leaving the, the alternative dispute resolution firm that I worked for. It, it was $5,000 from a retirement plan that they actually contributed to. And I'm so grateful I didn't spend it because it was like a small amount at the time, but yet was a large amount for me at 30. And I put it over here and invested in it. And I'll never, I, I remember telling my mom, mom, I got $20,000. And she was so happy for me. And I remember th- I was so proud of myself. I remember thinking, I think I have more than her set wow. aside. I think I have more than her. And the, the joy I had of seeing that 20,000. Then I remember 
when it was 50. And then I remember when it was 100. And then again, double, double, double that compounding effect. And that is motivation. That's when you are like, wow, I get this because it's not as complex as you think it is. You set it and forget it and don't mess with it with what's going on in the capital markets and let it do its magic which I don't know if you're familiar with this data-wise, but and women are actually better investors than men because they don't mess with it. In down markets, they just keep it going. You don't change your 401k allocation, you know, because you're buying cheaply at that time. You don't want to go to safety. You're actually buying stocks cheaply in down markets. So uh, women actually historically, uh, research says that are better investors than men. And yet we ignore it many of us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, but there's also an ebb and a flow and you have to be confident enough so that during the down, uh, down times, you know, that everything always moves in an upward direction after that you, that is exactly right. I mean, the challenge of the ebb state is to believe in your future prosperity because once you believe everything on earth is cyclical and we all uh, phases, as you said, in are temporary, then it's so much easier for every ebb to know that there's a flow that will follow. And I think that in itself is so powerful to understand um, because then you don't take it personally or you don't get scared when your portfolio goes down like it may be doing right now. Um, as high as perhaps 15, 20%, depending on how, how much you have in stocks. So is it still true that people should have their investments in thirds so that a third safe and a third growth? No, it depends. It depends. Um, you definitely want your cash reserves in place. And if you're a business owner, you want six months to a year of cash reserves to pay your expenses of the business and your household. So that takes, when, you, when you're trying to survive, it takes a quite a bit to get your cash reserves in place. I mean, and to save for your retirement at the same time. Many people get their retirement saved and then work on their business emergency fund, to, if I were to be honest, because you can't lose those years of that retirement plan. So um, I think that the portfolio allocation that best meets people's needs, particularly in this market environment, uh, with interest rates so low, even though they're starting to go up with the Federal Reserve increase, you know, combating inflation, I think that you need equities to stay ahead of inflation and taxes. So in the nature of my world, like this ideal portfolio is oftentimes 60% in equities, stocks, and 40% in fixed income. And if you're younger, you go higher on the equity side. Uh, again, but that's because of the so low interest rate environment. Historically, back in the day, it was what's your age, subtract that. And so you have, if you're 70, you would have 70% in bonds and 30% in stocks. That's no longer the case because of longevity and low interest rate environments. So true. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Everything has changed. I mean, people are not retiring. <laughs> Well, um, and when I say stocks, I actually don't mean individual stocks. That is something that we don't do. We actually, we actually use low cost index type investments. 
So like a, a Vanguard total bond fund would be something that a lot of people would be interested in. Uh, maybe 20% of that is an international uh, index, you know, and then maybe uh, that 40% is in of fixed income could be an aggregate bond index. So you want very low cost. You don't want to have to be picking the investments because they already are in that index. And that way, for, you know, again, once a year, put it back to the original percentage that you started out with, you know, 40% in U.S. equities, 20% in international, and 40% in aggregate bond, and never think about it again. Now, that's very, very, very simplistic. However, sure. if that's all you did, that would be really, really good. Well, it would be a good place to start. Right. It would be a good place to start. So uh, where can people find you? Yeah, thank you. Um, so wealthlegacyinstitute.com is the name of our advisory firm. Um, but to get some resources uh, that we could put in the show notes, whether it be uh, Retirement Secrets Workbook, they could find that at financialliteracypress.com financialliteracypress.com. And we have that free giveaway that we talked about earlier in the green room is the uh, retirement secrets workbook. That's 92 plus pages of great activities to get you to find out what that ideal life may look like when you choose to step off. And you want to do that before you step off so that you're prepared for that great, great day. That's wonderful. So that information will be in the show notes for everyone to find. Um, and I'm looking forward to going over that myself. Uh, so in closing, what would be some of the advice that you were given that you thought truly was important in your business, in your business growth? I, I, I would have to say that no amount of money can create an extraordinary life. It's up to us. Sure, money helps make it a lot easier, but that's why it's an inner game, not an outer game on understanding money because all the money in the world is not going to make you happier or healthier. It's up to you. Uh, a friend of mine years ago said to me that in general, if it can be fixed with money, it's not a problem because the things that can't be fixed with money are not fixable. Right. That's exactly so, right. That goes along with what you just said, and I so appreciate it. Yeah, and I love that. Thank you. Thank you, Anne. Thank you so very much for joining me today. Again, all the information will be in the show notes. Thanks for joining us. Please follow us, submit a rating and review, and share us with your friends. This helps our message reach more listeners. For more information about my products, visit justwantedtoask.com. Thank you.